That was incredible. I've never felt anything like it. Oh, great. I've been programmed to be fully proficient in sexual activities. Do you want to go steady? Gee, I don't know. I already have a boyfriend, but... Uh, what he does not know will not hurt him. But I'd feel so guilty. Of course you would. Earth women who experience sexual ecstasy with mechanical assistance always tend to feel guilty. Hang on, hang on. That's uh, it's not the one I wanted to use. Oh, okay, all right. Are you from around here? Well, you may not believe this, but I'm from another world, from a place called Earth. Earth? I, too, am from Earth. My name is Catherine Wells, and... I'm from the British colony of Gibraltar. You saved my life. I have no reward to give you, but if any part of me pleases your senses, I would give it to you willingly. Hold on a second. That, that's actually, I didn't want to use that one either. <laughs> okay. Right. Here we go. Harry? Can I sleep with you? Yeah. Sure. Sucker player not. I must have turned around something fierce. Because this dame was going for broke. Or maybe it was her first time with a New Yorker, I don't know. Anyway, nothing can beat good old American know-how. And I was given this broad, the stars and stripes, forever. Episode 105 of the Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. You got any show news? Any show news this week? Uh, no show news this week other than Go Hawks! Go Hawks, that's right. On to the Super Bowl in a very possibly blizzardy New York City. Uh, I heard they might actually have to move it to Saturday or Monday or something if uh, the, the the weather doesn't cooperate. Oh, what a bunch of pussies. <laughs> Super Bowl Saturday. I don't give a shit. Uh, actually, I use Super Bowl Sunday as an excuse to uh, basically go do activities in the city that I know would be crowded normally, and then I can go, you know. Mm. That's Hang a good idea. Or something. What most guys do with Super Bowl Sunday is they take it as an opportunity to beat their spouse. Mm. Yeah, isn't there some statistic where... No, wait a minute. Is that true? There's like yeah, some statistic I, where I think abuse we, goes up after the Super Bowl or something? Yeah, I think so. I think I've heard that, though. That may just be uh, hearsay. Uh, yeah, well, that sounds about right. All right, uh, we're going to get into the movie this week. Our movie this week is the classic animated cult classic heavy metal 1981 uh, plot rundown a glowing green orb called Lochnar that contains the sum total of all evil in the universe travels through space and time spreading violence and discord in its wake the stories that follow de- demonstrate Lochnar's malevolent pr- 
presence throughout the universe. In New York, in the year 2031, Cabby Harry Canyon picks up a fair who turns out to have Lochnar in her possession, and it turns out to be one trip he wishes he had never made. Actually, I don't know if that's true. In contemporary suburban America, a nerdy high school kid finds the orb in his backyard and is transported to a comic book universe where he's a mighty warrior and famous spoiler of women. A robot created by an alien race falls in love with a secretary from Earth who was kidnapped by his masters, while she is at once fascinated and repelled by his sexual talents. And finally, Lochnar crash crashes into a mountain, and the world of fantasy and danger spontaneously appear in its wake, ruled by the Defender, a beautiful Amazon who rides on a giant bird. And it, that's it. But it left out my favorite vignette in all of the heavy metal uh, film, which is B-17, which I think is its uh, probably the best uh, piece of the, the movie. Agreed? Disagreed? Um, yeah. it's uh, As far as the animation style, it's my favorite. Um and uh, it's sort of darker and uh, doesn't have any uh, enormous titted muscular Amazonian. Women I know, there, which is too bad. They could have used a couple. Like, I find uh, it the ironic. pilot could have been banging somebody up in the cockpit. <laughs> I find it ironic that my favorite uh, vignette of the movie is a boobless one. Uh, strangely, because uh, there's just animated boobs flopping around this whole film, left and right. They are. They are. I mean, flopping. I don't know about that. They certainly are. Okay. This is before the era of uh, silicon implants. So there's a different dynamic to boobs that Mm. had to be captured with the animation. Yeah, they weren't like a couple of half domes that had been riveted to the chest of the porn actress. That's true. There, There is an awesome... South Park episode called Major Boobage. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I want to say season 12. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, season 12, episode 13, South Park, Major Boobage. And it centers around all the kids are into the uh, fad of cheesing. Yeah, which cheesing. Is, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is like they get their cat to spray urine in their face, and mm-hmm. then they go on some sort of crazy trip. And I think it's... <laughs> that uh, is fucking con- so hilarious. Is it Kyle or Stan's dad cheeses? He's like a cheesing addict, and then it transports him to this psychedelic world where he's like piloting a B seventeen from the B seventeen vignette, <laughs> obviously right. of uh, heavy metal, and then uh, arrives in sort of the, uh, I guess the 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 realm of the last yeah, Tarna uh, bit of yeah Tarna. And something I forget the the, the subplot, but uh, he has to go uh, battle the Brestriari and Nipopolis or something like that. And there's just uh, it's like a gigantic boob monster. Uh, it's great. They got the sort of the style of how they it was the sort of exaggerated rotoscoping they used for the Tarna sequence at the end. And I thought yeah, they yeah. Ca- I thought they caught it really well in that South Park episode. It was really uh, I thought it was a beautiful uh, sort of it was, love letter to that movie. Yeah, it was a very, very nice homage. And so if you're not up for watching heavy metal and you're actually listening to this podcast, which I find strange, then go check out Major Boobage, uh, the South Park episode, because it'll, it'll give you a very nice uh, cursory summary. Of it's a little film. risque, though. I mean, if you have a family get-together, you probably won't just stick with heavy metal. Maybe around Christmas time with, after Thanksgiving dinner. Right. Uh, yeah, you wanna you don't want to be as, as as randy as South Park watching. Heavy we metal. usually just very watch, wholesome entertainment. We just usually my extended family we, we like to watch the Harry Canyon segment <laughs> on Easter. <laughs> you know, okay, 
I have a lot to talk about in heavy metal. Uh, I don't know where we wanted to start with things, but I have sort of a, a personal history with heavy metal that uh, makes it somewhat nostalgic for me. Uh, first of all, I, I came across the magazines when I was like a kid in the 80s. My friend Pat, his dad was into art and had a subscription to heavy metal. And we would thumb through it. We were kind of not supposed to because we were only like 9 or 10. And there's lots of uh, nudity. I'll tell you, that'll make Draw you, nudity. Yeah, that'll make you sport a halfback Rolaids in those uh, early Yeah. Years. Yeah, when you're a kid, you know, well, for starters, there's something tantalizing about adult animation. And I always begrudge, I guess, the current state of, of animation and the fact that it has to be for children. And I get very upset with that because it's like, why the fuck, if an animated movie comes out, is it the same old Pixar, uh, you know, anthropomorphic bullshit? But have you seen Frozen? No. And to their credit, I'm sure they're fine for what they are. But once in a while, I'd like to see some, you know, kind of naughtiness in adult animation that's not like hentai porn a little bit more mainstream you know a little bit doesn't sit there and dwell on it but is just for the adults yeah something like a yankee fuck machine not a nazi fuck machine (laughs) that's right exactly so when i was a kid I, i i thumbed through these old heavy metal uh magazines at my my friend Pat's house when when they when we were left to our own devices at home you know and I'd, I'd read them and I was just like blown away I was like whoa this is crazy stuff because it's edgy you know for a nine ten year old you're reading stuff and there's like boobs and swear words and violence and it sort of tripped my imagination a little bit I got I got sort of into the idea of uh, you know the style it's a beautiful and style I, I mean I I bought heavy metal magazines for a while. I think I had a subscription maybe for a year. I mean, it's in each magazine, while there's a lot of schlock in there, like really poorly done stuff, there's usually at least one short piece that's uh, really uh, beautiful artwork and wonderful subject matter. Yeah. No, I, I remember reading. I wasn't really reading, but flipping through uh, a segment. Because what? Heavy metal had four or five, uh, uh, I guess, comics. In each one, in each. normally, yeah. And some of them were serialized. But a lot of them were just like, uh, I think, what do they call them in, in manga? Like one pieces. Oh, okay. Uh, so the movie follows that magazine style, right? I mean, it's it's kind of put together like the magazine was. It's, it's four or five. Yeah, I mean, this, this movie, I mean, when Reitman, you know, sort of had this... It was sort of the apex of the synergy. I mean, it's a thought that had been brought around to make a movie version of the magazine, basically with animation instead of of graphic novel type. Um, well, that's that's the only way you could really do it. Well, of course, but so. I'm just saying. I mean, it's it's just it's supposed to be just a straight up translation of the magazine. Yeah. Well, you get yeah, you get that. I mean, all the all the like Den. I remember reading Den. I never, I, I never read the original Den. I was looking uh, online trying to find the. Uh, there was an original work for the, um, for the B seventeen, a section called Gremlin, which was slightly different. Uh, but I couldn't, right. find, I couldn't find that online anywhere. You probably have to have an actual oh, back really? catalog of heavy metals to, to to read that. 
Oh, okay. Uh, I had read that Dan O'Bannon was toying with the idea of gremlins for the film, but went with the whole zombie thing instead. And I guess somehow the gremlin idea was hatched out of his Space Beast uh, screenplay, which was the prototype or the the original, I guess, rough draft of the second half of Alien, hmm. something like that. You know, all these ideas come I'm not from. sure, cause, but I know that the original like graphic novel short piece that was the 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 genesis of the B-17 animated segment, instead of that green orb coming in and reanimating the corpses, they're actually, they were attacked in midair by gremlin creatures. See, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, it looked yeah, pretty like, interesting. I, like I saw one. Gremlins. I saw one image that was like one, one page, but I couldn't find anything else online. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I remember there was this one bit, and it was just this futuristic jet fighter fighter pilot, and there was really hardly any words to it. But the but the art was just so beautiful. And as a kid, you know, I was totally enthralled with it. And I think I remember thumbing through that section just. Like every day I was hanging out with my friend Pat because I just couldn't get enough of that kind of art. And it's all pre-internet, so you don't have access to the world of, you know, like you're trying to find that that lost uh, issue of heavy metal. And you can actually try to go do that. But when you're a kid, you know, you just got what's at hand. And and, uh, uh, the input is, uh, it's always the, the economy of less. Right. You well, always... that's why like uh, liquid, what was liquid television was so great. Because that's sort yeah. of pre, like, wide adoption of internet. And it was really the only place to see sort of out there animated shorts. I know, but it makes it more important and more personal, I always find. Uh, which is something I guess I shouldn't begrudge the internet for. But on the other hand, uh, you have these little filters. And you focus on, I guess, little gems more. And you think about them more. Like, I remember that little comic book bit from... 25 years ago and it's still in my head uh, i don't know if you get that with the internet today where you've come across a video or something that sticks in your head to that it, effect, it is but. tough i mean i don't know if it's because you're showing better stuff i think it's just basically because you see you see less and so your one idea doesn't have the chance to drive out another and you, know, you have less to focus on tough to say if it's better or worse um it's certainly a different situation well, heavy metal's still around, despite the fact that there's uh, literally a fire hose of comic book media being cranked out, indie and mainstream, of this sort of ilk, I guess, adult-themed comics are kind of the norm now, I think. I don't think they're they're much written for kids. I think they're written for 25-year-old oh, like... yeah. ponytail dude in trench coats. I think that's who, who's... who's who, they're writing this shit for now. So those guys well, kind of be, expect a level of... Things can be pretty of, edgy if you go down to your local comic book store. Oh, I know they are. I mean, uh, I mean even back when we were in high school and college, I mean, like Sandman and some of that stuff got pretty graphic. I mean, I remember I collected Electra for a while, and that was a, that was a, real, that was a real fucking uh, blood fest. Well, I'm not a comic book guy, so I could be speaking from a point of complete ignorance maybe this is uh there's a whole current of uh, i guess adult themed comics even when i was a kid uh, that that was out there and enjoyed and then there was sort of the kind of milk toast uh preteen 
uh, comic books that were, you know, obviously more widely distributed. So maybe that's, maybe that was the deal. But that was my first exposure to it when I was a kid is heavy metal magazine. Yeah, no, heavy metal magazine really gets the adolescent boy to open his eye wide. Right. Exactly. So I, I remember that. And then I think it was my last year of high school. I had this friend, Aaron, Aaron is a total enigma. Uh, he dropped out of high school his senior year. Like, I came back my senior year, and I asked his ex-girlfriend, say, hey, you know, if it, is Aaron back? Where's Aaron? I haven't seen him. I was like, oh, he dropped out uh, and went and worked road construction in eastern Washington. Hmm. Uh, and then I ran into him about six months, nine months later. He came back, and his parents still lived in town. And he looked like some crazy psychedelic Indian. He, he had like this long ponytail, wore tight eyes, just smoked a ton of weed, uh, dropped acid. He was like on burnout highway and he hung out with all his derelict cousins. And, you know, it was just sort of this, um, drink all night, wake up at six in the morning with a hangover and go and, and work construction all day, which, uh, I guess you got to have a certain sort of DNA to do yeah, I think you have to be in work. your 20s to survive that sort of punishment. Yeah, and so he was just like, you know, dropped out of high school, and I was like, holy shit. And he was a super smart guy. And then he joined the Marines. That's probably, probably a good move. And, yeah, the last thing I, I remember hanging out with him, we were up on some logging road, like camping. Like, just camping and drinking. Like, you, you know, you find some kind of excuse to go drink in the wilderness. About how old were you, you guys at that time? I was probably 19, and he had borrowed his dad's 4x4 Suburban. It was just a beast of, of a vehicle. This is before and, he went to the military, right? Yeah, yeah. And drove it, we drove it up into this, the middle of nowhere, and just kind of camped on the side of a logging road. And he was just around the campfire and he was just getting loaded and he was high. And then all of a sudden he bolted towards the suburban and I'm like, what the fuck? And he, he piles in it. And then his buddy goes running to grab him. I thought to grab him out of it, you know, to, to say, what the fuck are you doing? And, you know, pull him out of the, 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 the car so he wouldn't go anywhere. But then he gets in himself and then they go tear assing up the road and <laughs> we're sitting there. And, and I remember uh, it was Matt and, now this girl Joni and we're sitting there going holy shit they're so fucking loaded and it's one of those logging roads that has literally like a 500 foot uh, clear cut rolling off you know drop to the side of the road it's on a steep yeah. you know road and and then we're just sitting there terrified going oh, they're going to they're gonna die and then uh, about 10 minutes later we hear it's like a fucking like metal meteor go crashing into the woods and we're like, holy fuck. <laughs> and so I grabbed, I had a trouble light in my car and I, I ran up the road and we all ran up the road and I, I just remember seeing the bottom of the suburban broadside <laughs> in the middle of the blocking the entire road and Matt and his, or uh, Aaron and his buddy like stumbling around on the, you know, they, they, magically weren't hurt but stumbling around outside the vehicle i don't know if they've been like kind of thrown out or whatever nobody was hurt but it was the most surreal thing because i was loaded and i was like holy shit it was night and yeah, it was night 
And uh, I left the next morning, like at six. I think I had to go back to work. <laughs> it was one of those fucking deals. Hold it, but did you guys flip the truck or something? They, uh, I, I, I passed out, and then they took my mom's truck that I drove up there in, uh-huh. and used it to pull over the suburban and, and tuck it off to the side of the road, unbeknownst to me. Which <laughs> I think they almost burned out the transmission. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I hadn't, I didn't see him like. After that, he went and joined the Marines and all that. But uh, and then and then get this, I googled him recently. Mm-hmm. He's like a high-profile international attorney in L.A. He has like books written on 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 international law. He's he's probably making millions of dollars. It's really? Oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, I know it's crazy. He just needed he a little already... structure, and then he was off and going. I know, but it's crazy. I like I I went on to his law firm's website, and there's just some power picture of him in his suit you know just looking like he's gonna rule the world and i'm like holy shit because you know? <laughs> everybody thought he was such a fucking loser in high school especially when he dropped out you know everybody was uh-huh. just like had nothing good to say about him and i really couldn't defend him because i was like oh yeah man he's he's a total burnout but during that period uh he had a copy of heavy metal uh, the movie Oh, and I don't know how he stumbled across it. I think you know it he was had a bootleg his, his, copy, right? Yeah, he had his circle of stoners, and they're all looking for stoner fuel. You know, whether it's uh, you know some Pink Floyd live at Pompeii videotape or something. You know, just to sit there. Well, and, I don't and, think that and, the actual D- VHS ever came out to the to the mid to late nineties. That's true. So he had VHS. a copy of it. Yeah. I don't know where the fuck he got it, the copy. It was just a bootleg videotape, probably of a of a. A film presentation of the movie. Yeah, so it was like ninety ninety one, and so we would sit and and his parents were for some reason never home. I never figured that out when he was living there. I don't know where they were, but he had basically the run of the house. And uh, yeah, so of course we would get loaded and watch heavy metal, and I must have watched it like three or four times that summer. And so it's stuck in my head. It's hmm. one of those sort of nostalgic movies. So watching it again, it's always fun. And uh, that's kind of that's that that's kind of why it's it's close to my heart, I guess, because it's sort of a a movie of my youth, and and heavy metal is sort of a magazine of my my youth. So that's really interesting. It's a story I've never heard before. So when you say loaded, you mean like high on marijuana or or alcohol? Probably drunk and uh, yeah. Mar- I never did anything else because so might... with VHS, as I remember, uh, pre-internet days. Uh, you hate to use that term again, but back when, when you just really had at home, you pretty much were, your entertainment was DVDs and VHSs. A lot of people would have like bits of a tape that they'd like to watch over and over again. They wouldn't just sit down and watch the whole film. So was there a section that you'd watch over and over oh, again? Yeah. I mean, if it was me, I, I'd probably watch the um, Tarna bit over and over again. Cause that's oh, probably really? The, that's probably the best animation and most exciting, you know, uh, action and violence of the movie. Uh, I think it was B seventeen. Really? Uh, yeah. No, I loved B seventeen, and I think uh, it captures a creepiness that that is pretty rare in in sort of animation. The eeriness, especially you have the beginning bit with the flak going off and that great Don Felder song, just just totally riffing. Oh yeah. By yeah. the way, let's just admit Don Felder, the greatest eagle alive. I, I don't know anything about him. Okay, so the Eagles suck. I hate the fucking Eagles. Okay, I, fair I enough. I just can't stand the Eagles. Like I, I enjoy 
Hotel California, mm-hmm. but the rest of it can can go out to pasture. So there was like they all had solo careers. There was Don Henley who probably had the most successful solo career. Yeah, something about and, Tears in Heaven or something. <laughs> no, that was that's Gary Clapton. Oh, is it? He he was the end of the innocence, dude. Oh, yeah, okay, now yeah. I remember. Yeah, and then there was Glenn Fry with his Miami Vice uh, song "Smugglers Blues" and uh, just fucking horrible. And then the worst of them all was Joe Walsh. I fucking hated Joe Walsh. He was just this goofy, uh, self-important asshole. I think he even ran for president, and his music sucked. I just I hated Joe Walsh. But then there's Don Felder who put out two solo albums, and he's sort of the uh, black sheep of the Eagles. Like, I think he sued him in 2000 or something because they left him out of a tour and all this stuff. Uh, but he has two great songs in this film that no other solo Eagle has even come close to. Uh, there's the B-17, and I forget the name of the song. I want to say it's the song like, that has uh, the term heavy metal in it, the one during the b Yeah, yeah. And What segment is the other song in? The other one is, uh, hold on, let me get to the soundtrack listing here. Uh, So there's Heavy Metal, Taking a Ride, which is the first Don Felder song, and that's during the B-17 sequence. And then there's All of You, which is the, um, I'm trying to get the... Is that in the So Beautiful, So Dangerous? Yeah, exactly. The 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 two aliens are up in the cockpit of that mammoth crazy spaceship mm-hmm. and snorting what are they snorting that's sort of that like, that sort of trip scene where they're going through space yeah they're snorting some plutonium nyborg yeah that was good plutonium <laughs> and nyborg then, and then don felder hits the you know that his song's up and yeah. uh, it's a great song i have the soundtrack i mean i, I remember listening that it sort of sounded quite like quintessential good 80s music I think it was more, yeah, it had a nice, I was almost thinking 70s, like late 70s mm-hmm. arena rock vibe, just, just you know, stoner fuel, good stuff. See, it's pretty chill. Oh, yeah, it's very chill. And I haven't heard, I guess he only had one solo album called Airborne. I haven't, I haven't heard it. But the two songs, at least on heavy metal, beat every other fucking Eagle song, solo song out there. I would even say compete with the actual... Eagles catalog, uh, different, but anyway, so, uh, cheers to Don Felder. My boy, you, <laughs> you've just totally, uh, I never realized you had such a connection to this film. It's just, I always, I always felt it to be a little bit of a adolescence dream sort of film, pretty much. It is. I guess that's, that's why I loved it back the, in the, the day. All the, the, the sex scenes, which we visited at the intro to this podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, the great thing about, okay, so the great thing about Heavy Metal, one thing I was watching this, you know, I haven't seen this in like probably 10, 15 years, is the complete adolescent 12 to 13-year-old treatment of how women should be. Uh-huh. It, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's the movie just rolls different. in it unashamedly. It's, it's, so how did Rose think about these portrayals of women? Are you kidding me? I watch these when Rose goes to bed. Rose doesn't rarely watches one of these movies with me. Especially <laughs> this. She, the, for Jean to see this movie. I she know. hates animated animated anything. For whatever reason, it drives her nuts. She, she is going to have to, uh, I would say man up, but woman up. And start watching some Pixar because we're going to be inundated with it. Oh when, Jesus uh, Christ, man! You're going to have it. It's going to be like on repeat on your TV. Yeah, and in, in about 
four or five years, we're, we're going to be uh, heavy into Pixar, and we're just going to have to stomach uh, the media, I'm afraid. So she's going to have to learn to like it at this point. But. What you do, what my brother did, is he uh, bought another TV and put it in like the kids' playroom, and then they just watched their movies there instead of That's in the idea. living room. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I might do that. There may be some... Uh, some sort of of situation that I that I can escape yeah, the the, the incessant movie. Finding Nemo repeats. Uh, it's, it's not so much that because Finding Nemo is a pretty decent film. It's like shitty films like Turbo and Cars uh, Two. No fucking Cars Two. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and some with kids, you have to see shit over and over and yeah, over they like again. To watch it again. It's like sort of, it's almost like kids are stoned and they like to watch the same things over and over again. I was down in San Diego visiting my friends David and Kim, and at the time, their little boy, I think he was maybe four or so, and they had a little portable DVD player, uh, and he was watching Cars. Cars was his movie. He had like three movies, and Cars was the movie, and they would just keep playing Cars, you know, when they were out, and he would just, I, I saw the credits end, and then it would go to the beginning, and he would just non-interrupted watch it over again yeah what is that uh, i don't know there's some well, sort of pay attention to it and see if you can figure it out there's got to be some sort of pattern association that kids crave I, I don't know but um anyway so yeah but for for heavy metal for me at least when i was 17 18 it was worthy of many repeats uh during a very stone summer stuck in my hometown uh but uh anyhow uh, b17 is my favorite and I watch that probably more than than any others. Uh, my least favorite. Oh. Let's see here. It's it, my. It's probably the uh, Captain Stern section. Yeah, that got a little old. The animation wasn't really up to snuff. It's shitty animation. And, yeah, it's, it was, and it's like a stupid story. At least it's short. It kind of has a nice little twist at the there's end. There's no tits but, in it. I mean, yeah, at least no with Dan, the animation. Oh, you're right. Bad. There is no tits in that one. At least Dan yeah. has two different women's that Dan gets busy with. Well, like I was saying, the adolescent treatment of women in this. I was like, it gets, it's, it it's gets how, started off strong with the, with the uh, Harry Canyon section, which, boy, so reminds me Harry Canyon. Of, is that the, that's fucking his name, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Harry Canyon. Jesus Christ. And uh, it reminded damn. me a lot of... Um, that movie, oh god, what's the name of it about? It's set in the future with the, uh, oh god. Um, I think I think I'm on your wavelength. It's the one with uh, Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, Fifth Bruce Element. Willis. Yeah, what's that yeah, called? Isn't he a cab driver? Yeah, he's, he's a, a cab, cab driver. driver and the, it, yeah, yeah, I think he's in New York. Anyways, it looks a lot like this. Like this. Yeah, movie. that. Yeah, no, you're right. And it had some awesome little elements in that film, like the uh, inverted cigarettes that were mostly filter with like a little teeny uh, oh. stub of actual... Quitting is my goal. We should do that movie, Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, Fifth Element. Ah, it was mediocre. Uh, it, it, it had some okay stuff in it, but story-wise, it was pretty, it was pretty poor, I thought. Oh, so. I, I just, I mean, I guess maybe, but I didn't mind because it was just sort of an action flick, but the setting was just so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So all the women uh, just offer themselves up to all the men uh, in the film, in each vignette. Uh, then at the end, you have, I guess, sort of the classic uh, 
I would call it faux women's lib that you see in comic books where you basically take a man and a, ma- a male hero and you just put them in a female's body. Well, it's and basic, that's all I mean, that. it's very, it seems a lot like Conan the Barbarian, even the music. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm surprised it, Milius didn't have something to do with this segment. Uh, you did. There's some things that kind of bugged me about Tarnit? that last segment. Well, yeah. well really, I, I, it's really probably my favorite section. It just in, in some of the an, use of animation and the rotoscoping, I just I really enjoy it. No, the art's great. Mm-hmm. I think Mobius actually did a lot of the art for. Uh, I think it was based off segment. a Mobius piece, though they changed quite a bit about the storyline. Yeah, Mobius. Uh, I'm not. A huge, uh, I guess, consumer of Mobius. But Mobius is one of those sort of seminal sci-fi artists that I think, uh, if you're a nerd like me, you're aware of. He did a lot of concept art for movies. Uh, he actually did the... He worked on the Jodorowsky Dune movie, hmm. which never actually got made. Him, Chris Foss, oh, and Giger, I believe, worked on those. And uh, that movie, unfortunately, never went anywhere. Although there's a documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune that's supposed to be pretty good. It was, it's it's a recent gonna, documentary, isn't it? Yeah, they were going to hire, like, Salvador Dali as the emperor, which would have been just fucked out. And uh, there's some concept art hanging out. Like, uh, Chris Foss has some concept art that he put in a book hmm. uh, that shows some of the, the Dune stuff. There's, like, the Giger... There's some bar in Switzerland with with Giger's Harkonnen chairs, which are just fucking crazy. And Mobius did some of that. Uh, So he was sort of a noted sci-fi concept artist. So he did a lot of that kind of trippy landscape stuff that you see in the end of Tarna. You know, especially with like the pipes going everywhere, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's a a weird, like out in the middle of the desert. It's like some sort of insane uh, amount of... uh... Uh, aquifers going all sorts of directions. And this is the only time you actually see uh, an animated band. You know, a the movie that centers band around. is really interesting, isn't it? This look of it's them. It's Devo. Probably... Oh, that's Devo. It's Devo. That's right. It's a yeah, Devo man. Song. They're playing Through Being Cool, I think. <laughs> uh, which is classic because one of the guys is wearing the Spud Boy mask. And so if you're a big Devo guy, I'm sort of a big Devo guy. I they had I a. see it. They had a, uh, a mascot character, the Bandivo, called Spud Boy. And it was just this weird sort of action figure looking mask. And uh, I think I have Devo's greatest hits and Spud Boy's on the cover or something like that. I mean, so one of, the, of all the scenes, I really love that scene at the tavern. It's just so beautiful and violent. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if you watched the documentary that came well, you probably no. did. You probably, you probably never. There was a thirty-minute doc. It was so so, oh. but they talk a bit about that scene, what they were going for, and they said, uh, you know, they saw Tarna sort of as a female Clint Eastwood, which you're saying, uh, taking a male character and just making it. Female. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty. Uh, I wouldn't uh, kind of amateurish that idea. It's pretty but, deep, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, we're going to make us, you know, a female action hero or a female Valkyrie. I mean, I was always super attracted to Tarna. Was that? Well, (laughs) I mean, is that bad? Just she looks so cold. Um, no, actually, I see it's healthy because uh, early '80s they went, they were going for more of the voluptuous vibe. You could tell, as opposed to whatever we're going for now these days, was sort of the uh, 
orthorexic, scrawny, uh, boyish-looking physiques. Mm. You know, I just love that, I mean, that a, platinum blonde hair. It's just crazy. <laughs> so anyway, the scene. You, did you did you gain any more insight from the documentary on that that that? No, bar just that they're going for sort of a Clint Eastwood spaghetti. Oh, okay. Thing. Got it. Yeah, I was thinking maybe a little Mos Eisley. You know, because it has all. They the, didn't mention Mos Eisley. Now they just. I think they weird. Did, you know. Space goblins. But I just love how I love how there. fucking just rad it is. Does she say anything in this whole in the whole section? No, I don't think so. It's just uh, she cuts those two guys' heads off. Just blew my mind. It still does. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's just, just, it's just in a the, lovely scene. In, in, in sort of, uh, I was I was thinking a lot of Conan comics. I used to read Conan uh, comics, like the Savage Sword of Conan. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of this sort of uh, themed art. I guess the big voluptuous, big boobed women. Although none of them were kind of Valkyries. Although I think they went that way with Red Sonia, the old Red Sonia comics. Oh yeah. And uh, but the uh, the the sort of I I wouldn't call it barber barbarianism, but sort of yeah, that kind of. Uh, cartoony savagery. It reminds me reminds me of the old Savage Swords of Conan, which are great comics, by the way. I think they have them all uh, compiled into like volumes. I have like one and two, which are. are and I'm not a comic book guy either, but I love all that Robert E. Howard stuff, sort of uh, couched in a comic book world. I think it works really well. I always really liked, uh, and also in the Tarna section is when uh, Tarak. I guess that's the big bad guy, the big bad green guy. When he's coming yeah. and, and uh, uh, sacking the city early in in that sequence, and there's that sort of uh, page boy that's bald that's serving the uh, elders. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. they go to uh, he goes to block that door with that crazy like reinforcing T that's coming that's, out of the that ground. That's just a wonderful little bit of animation. <laughs> it really reminded me of the animation that you see throughout um, uh, Akira. I thought they must have spent a lot of time on that. I thought it was a really inventive thing where it comes up and then falls apart. I just always found that really satisfying visual. And plus, well, and great. plus the way the boy is killed afterwards, it's a wonderful. Oh yeah, you get all those rod, metal rods, rod bullet things, and oh, sort no. of you see him like suffer and then die and, and go quiet. It's really fascinating. And uh, all that while you have Black Sabbath, this mob rules playing in the background. Oh, is that the Which song? I believe. Which I believe was when Ronnie James Dio was fronting the band, mm. but it's a it's a good song nonetheless. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a pretty amazing scene. I, I guess I don't know. I just I always find that section really satisfying. The whole thing. It's a good. It's it's probably the strongest. Uh, I, I'm just really, uh, I guess, just nostalgic for the B seventeen season. Well, s- maybe. Maybe Same we can way. talk just a little bit. We hadn't mentioned this is part of my Dan O'Bannon O'Thon. Dan O'Bannon O'Thon. Because Dan O'Bannon wrote Soft Landing, which I never realized that was Soft Landing was that did first. Did you really need bit. to write that? Uh, did you really need to write? Okay, a Corvette uh, <gasps> pops out of the space shuttle, uh-huh. goes through re entry, and then magically lands in the desert. I was like, is there really much to be written about that? There's not too much. Concept? But I love it where. I love how the way it's animated with it's just a high contrast it's just a camera shots. It's, well, it's not it, drawn. It, they drew over it's it. It's sort bit. of uh it's it's what do you call it? filtered photography, mm-hmm. right? 
I mean, it looks like it looks like you took a bunch of pictures or you took film and xeroxed each frame of the film and get this sort of cross-hatched somewhat blurry cartoonish looking thing. It looks like a model too. It looked like they had a model that they in in a studio. Well, they, I think it was an actual it was an actual Corvette that they had up on ropes. Oh, really? Filmed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And uh, I just love where it hits the ground and then it pulls its chute. Yeah, I know. That is, is that so necessary? rad. It jumps back up in the air. It doesn't even make any sense. I don't know whose idea that was. <laughs> it just yeah, fucking cracks me up. You right, know, the you thing would... about this movie is Reitman and the producers, they didn't, they had no, ex- they had produced like Stripes and Animal House, like the production guys. They got the money together for this film. It was a Canadian uh, well, the, production. The, well, right? they, they well they hired some other people, but they had they had no experience with doing animation, so they they didn't know oh. what they were doing, and they farmed the animation out to a bunch of groups, and I think they got way over their head a lot in this film, which I think sort of maybe gives you that um, inventiveness of the animation well, and the variety. The rotoscoping, which is used in that scene, it's used in the B seventeen scene. Yeah, they used a to... model. For the B seventeen animations, yeah, that they filmed where, and then rotoscoped over. Where, where else was was there other rotoscoping in the film? I can't uh, think of anything. But. Oh, the, the Tarno's character animation, like her dressing scene, was a, a rotoscope. So there's an I would call him an infamous artist called Ralph Bocci. Mm, not familiar. And with our friend Will has, I want to say, either hates him or loves him, or it's a love hate. I, I don't. I don't. I think I think Budge hates rotoscoping. I'm just going to say that. He can email me and tell me I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I got sort of a... I was, he always gave me a negative vibe about Ralph Bocci, and I'm trying to think about a Ralph Bocci movie that's uh, kind of quintessential. Uh, Fire and Ice. I think Fire and Ice is, is, is an animated film from this era. That's Ralph Bocci did, and it's a lot of rotoscoping. And I think... If you're watching it, like, well, we watched a rotoscope movie, Scanner Darkly. It's just a technique where you're animating over the top of, what, photos or film? Yeah, film or, or photography. The thing is, you don't, I think maybe, does Bocce, does he really, is he a real slave to the original film? Because rotoscoping can just be more of a keyframe thing where it just, it gives you ideas for movements and then you can sort of go your own direction with exaggerating movements. Well, Ralph Bocci used, he would base, it was sort of like, it seemed a lot of it was like cheap ass Ted Turner colorization. Like it's uh, really, like where, he wasn't really doing it. He wasn't taking the rotoscoping and interpreting. I mean, like scanner darkly, they do a lot of neat stuff like with the suits and with, you know, the color palette and the same thing in this movie. They do, they, they exaggerate things. From well, if you ever watch, Ralph Bocci's Lord of the Rings, which yeah. is a really, it looks really, which it is looks really weird. Well, it looks stupid. Like you have the orc army, yeah. and he'll draw little horns on top of basically black and white faded out images of you know people, right? Yeah. Uh, silhouetted people. He'll just you know draw some glowing eyes on them, and it looks kind of cheesy and bad. And it, it, I guess, is a, I guess you. I think what maybe Will's complaint was is that rotoscoping seems like a cheat. Right? It was a crutch. It seems like you're tracing. You're tracing. Yeah. I right? mean, rotoscoping you know? should be more used as like you would use a model. 
or a, a book of models if you're doing drawings to as a reference point to remember the proportions and the muscles. Well, for B17, if you're doing a pan over an actual, uh, you know, airplane, mm-hmm. getting all that perspective and actually drawing something like that is really challenging. I mean, you almost need a draftsman to do that level of work. But you could just film, like you said, a model of a B-17 and, you you know, really do some uh, quality rotoscoping and you basically get an animated version of that shot you want. Oh, it's even beyond it's, that. When they filmed it, they filmed the model was painted black and have all, all the those lines you see were in white and then they made a negative print that looks black oh. with, with, uh, with just black with white lines. I'm sorry, it's... Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. So they didn't actually yeah, yeah. redraw all those lines. They, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, they it has color it, in it. Yeah, well, it they colored, color they colored it, it and put backgrounds in, and then they did all the animations like with shit blowing up, and then all the people were hand-drawn inside and the interior. Yeah, see, to me that totally worked. It, it yeah. wasn't... It, I think it, it's beautiful it's, when it's flying along and like the rear gunner gets blown out, or is it the oh, front yeah. gunner? That's I don't remember. Oh, yeah, it's the bombardier. Well, the bomb... Well, there's a yet they're of, still able. Yet they're still able to drop their bombs anyway. But oh anyway, yeah, they do. Drop them. Yeah, this is, that is a little funny. Everybody gets die. Everybody <laughs> dies. Yeah. So uh, it worked there, but I think the Ralph Bocci stuff. A lot of it was kind of cheap and cheesy. Well, that, that's and, what you're uh, saying. It's just crappy. It's crappy yeah. There's another. There's another movie called Wizards that was kind of a lot of rotoscoping and uh, kind of cheesy and shitty in that regard. So. I, I can see the complaint. A lot of people have a complaint about rotoscoping, but it was done to minimal effect in this film. And uh, the Dan O'Bannon stuff with the uh, soft landing and uh, B-17, I think, were, were just fine. I think it worked. And I don't think I, anybody complains about it. You know, one thing, one other bit that stands out, since we, I think we're getting sort of to the point where we've talked about what we like about the film, is in So Beautiful, So Dangerous, the, the, um, the design of that spaceship as it's sitting above the Pentagon. It's just beautiful. Yeah, you have that on your Facebook now. There's just something uh, about that. That's just such a, a lovely... The design of that is just fucking beautiful. Where, where the rest of it is pretty crudely drawn, somebody had a fucking awesome idea for the spaceship design. It's really neat. There was a lot of... It, I don't remember, but you know when you're a kid growing up... A, around a bunch of uh, ex-hippies, or I wouldn't say ex-hippies, but uh, 70s hippies. Uh, you get a lot of, I guess, I keep using the word stoner fuel because that's about all I can think of, uh, laying around. And I remember, uh, for some reason, 70s, late 70s sci-fi stoner art. It's probably... Uh, an imagined genre that I perceive, but there's something that about that segment. Uh, what is it called? Uh, so beautiful, uh, so dangerous. That has a ton of that in it, and uh, I think that that crazy spaceship that they're in kind of captures that brilliantly. You know, just this psychedelic, just totally preposterous-looking spaceship. Uh, it kind of looks like a giant bug head. You know, ridiculously big and uh, piloted by basically Cheech and Chong. (laughs) Yeah. And I love the space station it goes to is just absurdly enormous. Yeah. It's even bigger. You know, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's kind of a, 
it's a fun that's probably one of the most fun and it has nothing it has very little to do with the um the, the through line the lochnar well let's admit the lochnar is just a way to stitch together uh-huh. five vignettes it's not even you know you're trying to make a movie uh, as opposed to just kind of hammering five different bits together, you try to thread some kind of theme through it. And, I mean, I like you know, the idea of the Loch Nahr, generally. Yeah, I guess. It's just literally a deus ex machina to, to, to you know, so the writers are like, okay, there's going to be this green glowing orb of ultimate evil and I think it do whatever you want with it. I think it worked in the, in the section pretty well. Yeah, it was fine. So, uh, anyway, but uh, that was a good, that was... That was probably one of my more favorite little bits. So I'd say B-17, Tarna, I'm rating them. <laughs> uh, and Harry Canyon. Harry Canyon. Just for the art, just for the setting. Uh, the setting was nice. You could tell there was a lot of care taken in uh, sort of fleshing out the future uh, New York. Although I always find it funny with the antiquated futurists that you have to have this little floating robot coming around to give you messages, no <laughs> cell phones in existence, yeah. you know. So, yeah, yeah. But it was Although just, I did l- sort of like a, a young boy imagining what the man, himself as a man would be. I'm going to do a cool mm-hmm. job, like driving a cab. Yeah, wouldn't that be future. great? Yeah, driving aliens around New York City, you know, in 2031. Which, Get, uh, getting we're... mugged over and over again and having them disintegrate their bodies. <laughs> I know. So in 2031, I think uh, my daughter will be almost graduating from high school. So I'm, um, I, I don't know. I I can't envision Harry Canyon's reality being my daughter's reality. But no, and the courts have decided you cannot booby trap your cab. I think that some cabbie tried to do it with like an electrified seat. Oh really? Yeah, and I think he like uh-huh. killed or seriously injured somebody who was robbing him. By enact, like activating the electrified seat, and he uh, got found uh, guilty of manslaughter. But if you had some sort of gamma ray emitter like Harry Canyon has in his mm-hmm. cab that totally turns to ash. Yeah, without damaging never, the cab. Yeah, without damaging the cab. Yeah. You could totally get rid of the evidence with a vacuum cleaner. Sure. Know? Well, I mean, yeah. I think you found the loophole right there. <laughs> That's right. All right. So uh, should we get on to the review? For this review, we uh, visit uh, Janet Maslin, which we had in a couple times in the past. Uh, she reviewed uh, this movie for the New York Times on August 7th of 1981. She says, uh, in what is considered a fresh review by Rotten Tomatoes, she says, Heavy metal is impressive, and it owes some slight bit of its toughness and nihilism to Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I well, I would say improved Ralph Bakshi's original. He says it uh, combines movie. science fiction, uh, mysticism, sex, violence, and rock music, and makes for a heady mix. Um, and then uh, what she talks briefly about the the through thread of the source of all evil, the Lochnar. But she says the the other thing the episodes have in common is that women turn up at predictable intervals. Shed their clothes and have superhuman shape. Yeah, shapes. it's it's like a thirteen year old wrote all the the female stuff in the in the film. So she sure. agrees with us that she takes out. She agrees with us in the sense that she sees two segments of this film to be the best. 
Uh, but her two segments are first the C, the one with the New York cabbie. Uh, you know, okay, can I stop you? Yeah. Harry Canyon's obviously a uh, double entendre or what have you, right? Uh, for mean, what? Oh, for the, the lady, lady naughty bits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 we can hope. I'm not so me. much nowadays. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's true. It would be the, uh, never mind, Baldy Canyons, whatever. She she liked it. I think she liked it for the portrayal of New York City in the future. Because she's 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 living in 1981 New York City, which is pretty dirty. Which is, yeah, which is just after the 70s recessions and all that good stuff. So, so I think you can sort of understand where you might be interested being a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. No, it has a New York wit to it. Yeah. Uh, like she comments about the comment about illegal aliens when yeah. he's in the police station. It's actually an actual alien. Yeah, an actual goddamn um, illegal alien. The other memorable story, strangely enough, is... Um, the Dan segment. Oh, Dan. Yeah, I mean, Dan. Dan, Dan or Dan, yeah. Dan. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why she likes it, but she does mention that uh, uh, beautiful women fling themselves at him, causing him to cry, wow, 18 years of nothing, and now twice in one day. Well, the John, yeah, the John Candy uh, voice in, in that bit really made it. I don't think it would be as entertaining or funny without John Candy playing sort of a, a nervous geek, you know? Well, John Candy voices three characters in this movie. He voices uh, the uh, Den, and he, he also voices the robot in um, Oh yeah, 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 So Beautiful and So Dangerous. And he also voices, who else does he voice? I thought he voices somebody else. Anyway. Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. But well, there's yeah. also a bunch of other Second City guys, like uh, Joe F- Flatterty and Eugene oh, Levy and Harold Eugene Ramis Levy. in this yeah. film. Well, it's because this was a Canadian It's, uh, it's film. really fascinating to hear their voices. Yeah, yeah it was a Canadian Well, I think that... So. Uh, but also the producer had some connection to those guys. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right, it. Right, right. Um... um Anything else? Sorry, I dropped my paper. Um, oh. Yeah, she says um, that about the film's last segment, Tarna, that uh, the heroine ruins her chance of counteracting the wild misogyny. <laughs> yeah, it's wild movie. misogyny by wearing a kinky black outfit and getting herself into a getting herself into a sadomasochistic fix. And uh, she finishes off with saying, "This movie um, isn't for children." Unless you'd like to to develop an early interest in bondage. Yeah, right. Well, it's definitely not on hentai porn caliber. But it's interesting that she and her favorite sections were were those two. I thought thought that was interesting for a fresh review. Well, I think uh, the the, uh, Harry Canyons had a lot kind of more witty dialogue because obviously it it was going for a uh, sort of the cabbie. Uh, attitude right Mm -hmm. and then the den one was i think it was hilarious because it's like you're watching conan the barbarian but the inner thoughts of arnold schwarzenegger are some dweeby you know jovial fat guy (laughs) and so it's a nice contrast right yeah i I think that's what made that funny because if if it wasn't that then it would just kind of seem it was especially funny listening when i was just listening to some of the audio clips i had grabbed to actually hear it without the visuals, and it's all you see is John Candy delivering these lines. 
It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's it's kind of a not very spectacular bit, right? I mean, it's it's pretty typical, like sword sorcery. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't know melodrama, but when you have John Candy voiceovering it, it just adds adds the needed bit of humor and zest to it mm-hmm. to to make it really entertaining. So, so it's interesting that we we enjoyed this film a lot, but I don't know. This doesn't seem to be a huge pizzazz about. I guess it's not really an idea rich film. Well, okay. So I never saw heavy. What is it? Heavy Metal Two Thousand. Did you I, ever see that? I did see that. I can't quite remember it. They kept some segments and replaced others. I sort of feel like I'd like to go check it out to see what well, the differences are now that this is fresh in my mind. I think. I think. It, the animation was good for its time. I think we can kind of acknowledge that but i think animation has definitely come a long ways since heavy metal and oh yeah you're much more of a i guess aficionado of of anime is am i right in saying that or manga i forget what well i mean manga is the the graphic novels no i know you 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 read way more manga but do you watch anime uh, consistently not really no I think maybe anime has been the sort of state of the art that's sort of driven a lot of of animation, uh, maybe domestically here. But animation has definitely come a long way since heavy metal. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think if a movie rolled out the door like heavy metal now, uh, it would get any kind of cred. I think it would it, it would seem amateurish in comparison. And I think a lot of that's just due to computer effects well the theater uh, wouldn't be the right outlet for vignette animated vignettes you put it online i've been sort of watching a lot of uh sci-fi shorts on uh youtube there's some really fucking good like 10 minute or so animated uh sci-fi little little movies are they part uh, of a channel on uh, YouTube? no i created where, where'd you find a, them I I don't know if I can share it. It's on YouTube Wired posted a bunch of them like the like sort of the best hmm. uh short animation sci-fi of the year. And I was watching some of this stuff and I don't know who puts the money up to do it or if They're it's like just one man shows. If it's just commercial animators who get sick of doing fucking Pixar uh, all day and just need to do their own thing and or their exercises with. to learn new tools possibly yeah or they just want to you know they just got to get their yayas out creatively and they they're sick of being saddled turbo's by, not doing it for them yeah sick of being saddled by big big studios and things so they come up with uh their own little you know short bits that don't cost them a lot of time and money you know that they can do fairly Fairly straightforward. And I'm trying to find my channel. I actually made a whole playlist of sci-fi. And I'm going to start out you got to share that list, man. I don't know. Can I share it with the listeners? Maybe I'll try. Uh, I know maybe if you search for The Cult of Matt and Mark on YouTube. You can favorite you can, it on that channel. Yeah. I'll try to, maybe I'll try, to, I'll try to work something out. And, and see if we can't get the listeners to, to tie into it. But uh, I have a sci-fi channel, and there's some fucking fantastic stuff on there. And a, a few of the bits, if people want to go Google them, uh, Rosa, R-O-S-A, uh, is a short. It's like 10 minutes long. And it's a sort of awesome cyberpunk fantasy 
It's all computer animation because that's kind of the norm these days. I don't know if people do traditional much unless they're really, you know, I don't know. It, that That's not the tradition. It's all anime. It's all computer, right? I mean, well, I mean, that's the only way I think you can do it inexpensively by making models and basically animating the models. I mean, hand-drawn frames are just too labor-intensive. Yeah, and so, well, it's kind of cool because it gives... Uh, folks who need want to do something creatively the ability to do it and if it's animation then then all the better a uh, ruin is another one r-u-i-n and it's like eight eight minutes and 30 seconds by a gentleman named west ball it's, it's a great little chase scene a little post-apocalyptic robotic chase scene hmm. uh, so yeah check those out uh, folks they're very cool uh, then there was another one. It was like, I'm going to get it wrong. I can't find it. I didn't add it to my little list here. Uh, it was a little time travel loop, time loop thing that was really super cool. I can't find it. But anyway, uh, there's a ton of like amazing animation coming out. And I guess maybe if you were a kid today, heavy metal would just be not your cup of tea. You'd be so inundated with state-of-the-art that I don't think you could appreciate heavy metal. I don't think you'd even heavy. appreciate the tits because you could find all your no, own. No, God damn. I think this is nostalgia. I think that's what's really fueling any sort of heavy metal viewings these days. I think it's just got to be pure nostalgia. But yeah. there was I a mean, 2000 this can't stand up when you've got Bailey J out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, but there was a 2000, I never watched it. It had, I think, some big rock names throwing some songs at it, like Queens of the Stone Age, but I never gave it. It's, it's, it's Dan Court, so I never watched it. Well, we're doing it next uh, week, so cool. Oh, yeah, there you go, listeners. Now, actually, next week, we're doing the David Lynch, I would say it's probably his most famous, infamous film, Blue Velvet. Uh, I'd kind of bandied about maybe doing Mulholland Drive, but I didn't want to do Mulholland Drive because we just pick apart the plot and try to sort of tie up the loose ends that may not be there, and it would just sort of be, I don't know, really boring podcast. Well, why, why don't we do uh, Inland Empire? I want to sit down for three and a half uh, hours. Yeah, Mark and I went and saw Inland Empire at the Neptune, right? I don't think and I ever want to see it again. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was yeah, like how I would enjoy one. a good fight. I like the memory was, of it. It was uh, I would I would call it David Lynch's uh, Lawrence of Arabia, and not just because it was four hours long, but I think he took everything David Lynchy and injected into Inland Empire, and to effect I, I don't know what he was going for, but it had kind of a linear storyline at the beginning, and then it just got fucked out like for the last two and a half hours. I remember. Uh, but Laura Dern was great I don't in it. Remember what the storyline was? Yeah, I don't think there really was a storyline. <laughs> about Laura Dern losing her shit. I think was yeah, funny. right. And and it worked. Uh, we we watched it. I don't think uh, I wanted to leave, but uh, on the other hand, I don't remember particularly. I was exhausted. Uh, enjoying it. it. Yeah, it was filmed in like Pomona, California, and Lots, Poland. It just like these two random locations on the earth that hmm. David Lynch sort of had some fantasy about filming in, and so that's what you got. But Blue Velvet is is fairly linear storyline. Uh, I think it's Dennis Hopper at his absolute craziest best, and there's a story there, 
And so it's not, I guess, more surrealist Lynch. It's actually fairly linear. But uh, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time, but I'm going to go get some nitrous oxide and sit down. Get and some fucking Heineken and nitrous oxide. <laughs> oh, man, get a Pabst Blue Ribbon, motherfucker. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Fuck that shit. Anyway, so uh, next week is going to be Blue Velvet. And until then. There was no way I was going to walk around this place with my dork hanging out. Please out